Good morning, everyone. Today's scripture reading is Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 through 8. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you for a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. This is the word of the Lord for us. Family reunions are great, aren't they? I always brag about the Reisner family reunion. We do every other year. That's uh, my mother, my siblings, and our families. In fact, mom is here with us this morning. Thrilled to have her joining us. And we gather for an entire week, <laughs> the Reisner side. And there are 44 of us, and counting. I think we're, we're meeting next summer. Uh, Lord willing, there will be two more that are, that are joining the party. Uh, and it is a fantastic time. We've divided up all the responsibilities for the reunion, so it's not a, an overburden on any one particular person. We all kind of have our role. My role is fanfare, <laughs> which is, I'm the hype man, basically, for our reunion. So the countdown, Re rise and reunion happening in 100 days. You can't, can't miss it. Save the date. Put it on your calendar. Uh, so it's very fitting for me. It's a perfect role for me uh, because I'm genuinely enthusiastic about those reunions, and they're just a fantastic time. And inevitably, when you gather with uh, a, a, a family for a reunion, maybe it's a person you've seen just two years prior or maybe it's been longer, you inevitably have that conversation where you say, oh my goodness, you've grown. Oh my goodness, I hardly even recognized you. Um, now, not everybody enjoys going to family reunions. In fact, there, it's been said... Uh, you want, do you want my family to get excited about a reunion? The best way to do that is by telling them it's canceled. <laughs> now, I don't feel that way, but I've heard that. Um, and in the scriptures this morning, in fact, Alicia just read it for us, we see a family reunion. It's a very emotional one, and it happens between Joseph and his brothers. And it is true that they say, I hardly recognized you, because they don't even recognize Joseph. 20 years. They didn't expect to see him again. They didn't think that he was alive. And so we are going to continue with our sermon series in the life of Joseph today with this Joseph being reunited with his brothers. And it is a powerful challenge to trust the Lord and to choose to walk in radical forgiveness for past mistakes. So that's what we're going to talk about together this morning. Well, let me introduce myself. My name is John Reisner. I serve as lead pastor. I'm just so glad that you're with us this morning. It is uh, Sunday, my favorite day of the week. I'm so thrilled that you've chosen to come and worship with us in this place. I'm praying that through our time together, your heart and home grow stronger in the Lord. So the life of Joseph, 
This man who walked by faith no matter what the circumstances. His life is so full of ups and downs, as we've seen over the last few weeks. This morning, we're going to have a dramatic story where his family, the, the people of Israel, his father is Jacob, decide to go to Egypt, and there they have a reunion. So we're going to pick up the story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 41. I hope you brought your Bible with you this morning. If so, please open it up to Genesis chapter 41. What has happened here is after interpreting Pharaoh's dreams, Joseph is chosen to lead Egypt. Now, he was taken there as a slave. He's a Hebrew. He's taken to Egypt as a slave, but he proves that he is a man of great responsibility and diligence. And so he rightly forecasted through uh, interpreting the dream that there was to be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of drought. And Pharaoh has a pretty quick turnaround in terms of, well, who could possibly help us to lead through such a global crisis as that? It's you, Joseph. So he selects Joseph. What we see happen is he puts a signet ring on Joseph's finger. In other words, Joseph has the power of Pharaoh himself. He can seal something with Pharaoh's signet ring. Robes are put on him. Robes of fine linen. Uh, And again, there are so many contrasts in his life. His brothers ripped his robe off of him. Pharaoh puts new robes on him. It says that a gold chain was put around his neck. Now, when he went to Egypt, it says he was put in chains of iron. And now we see him adorned with chains of gold. And he's given a chariot. And everywhere he goes in Egypt, people uh, praise him and laud him and call out to him. Uh, And and Pharaoh says this to him, if you look at verse 44. So we're in Genesis chapter 41, verse 44. Pharaoh says, without your word, no one will lift a hand or foot in all of Egypt. Whatever Joseph says is what happens. He was the most powerful person in the known world. But you see, Joseph doesn't just sit back and enjoy the luxuries. He gets to work. He has been given a really big responsibility. Like, again, there would have been no bigger responsibility on planet Earth. And he is going to do his best. If this famine is what he thinks it will be, then many lives are at stake. And so part of his leadership challenge is the first seven years. Think about this. Part of his leadership challenge is the first seven years where there's plenty. Let's read about it. So let's go to verse 46. We're in Genesis chapter 41. It says, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence. And again, does it say, and he threw himself a big party and said, Woo, I made it. Woo, I'm rich. I got the rings and the robes and the chariots and everyone praises me. No, no, no. It says he traveled throughout Egypt. He wants to survey the land. He wants to know, I'm responsible for this, so I want to understand it. Verse 47, during the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. What did Joseph do? Collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up Huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Now, we don't know what device they used for keeping measurements, whether it was some sort of a Bacchus or, or a, other device. Whatever it was, it reached maximum. We don't have numbers. We don't have 
the ability to count beyond this. He stored up so much. So we're not just talking Pharaoh's palace. It says in each city, he is making sure they've got the right buildings. He's making sure they've got the right leaders. He's storing up the grain. You know, sometimes the hardest seasons to lead in are seasons of plentiful. Think about these seven years where Joseph is leading. Like, things are going well. You just wonder what the Egyptians wondered or thought about Joseph. Like, why is this guy stockpiling so much food? <laughs> like, all is well. We've got more than we need. Like, why are we storing up all of this? Doesn't Joseph realize that we have plenty? Doesn't he realize he doesn't have to worry about anything? Why doesn't he just take a day off? Why doesn't he just be comfortable? Sometimes the hardest seasons to lead in are when we're comfortable, when we've got enough, when there's an abundance. But Joseph was wise. And so he knew they needed to plan for the days that lay ahead. And he was going to be prepared. So it didn't matter what opposition. It didn't matter the naysayers. He says, no, 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 no. I hear you. We need to store more grain. Keep going. Nope, tear that building down and bigger, bigger one. Because I need more. He stored up massive amounts of food. Again, so much they couldn't even count. Off the charts. And his diligence was about to pay off. Because after the seven years, the drought came. Let's go to verse 53. It says, the seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. And then Pharaoh told the Egyptians, uh, go to Joseph, do whatever he tells you to do. This is too big for Pharaoh to figure out. Like he didn't have the management skills that Joseph had. He says, go to Joseph, whatever Joseph says, he's got a plan. He's going to help us. We're going to somehow make it through. And so begins Joseph's very heroic efforts to save people. Because this drought was unlike anything they'd seen before. His heroic efforts, they began seven years prior, but now the famine has hit. And you see that through this process, not only are people saved, but Egypt, Pharaoh, is enriched. And I mean, like, to the max. And I just can't imagine how stressful this time must have been for Joseph. Like, he not only had the Egyptians coming to him hungry... They were out of food. Like the land produced no crops. Hey, we're hungry. You got food for us? He had people from far and wide traveling from distant lands that were arriving and asking, hey, we would like food. And so for 14 years, Joseph dedicates himself to this task. 14 years. There were the seven years of plenty. And he travels throughout the land. He wants to understand the fields and the crops. He wants to make sure they've got the right storehouses. And he wants to make sure they've got the right leaders who are overseeing those storehouses. Like, and then the, now that the years of famine have come and people are desperate. I mean, the price of grain probably went through the roof. And so he's also now concerned with, does he have leaders who are men of integrity? Or are people going to be cheating? Oh, I'm going to be, you know, taking a little grain off the side. I'm going to be selling it for my own profit. Uh, he's got to determine the price of grain, how much each person or each family could buy. He's got to manage people. He's got to manage resources. He's leading a nation through the biggest crisis they've ever seen. I'm sure it was overwhelming. Impossible. 
But Joseph was a man of faith. Joseph walked by faith. He trusted the Lord. He was rooted. He was grounded. And so what we see is not a disaster. It is not a, 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 a everything crumbles and falls apart, but we see success. The Lord gave Joseph success. And so let's jump to chapter 47 in the book of Genesis because that tells us kind of how it went. Let's go to verse 14. So Genesis chapter 47, starting at verse 14. It says, Joseph collected all the money that was to be found in Egypt and Canaan. How much of the money did he find that was in Egypt and Canaan? (laughs) All of it. Like the coffee can in the backyard, yep. The bank accounts, yep. The purses, the wallets, all of it. Wow. He collected all the money in Egypt and Canaan in payment for the grain they were buying, and he brought it to Pharaoh's palace. And verse 15, when the money of the people of Egypt and Canaan was gone, all Egypt came to Joseph and they said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eye? Our money is all gone. They first ran out of food when the famine hit. Like they ate what they had. Now they're out of food. Then they bought from Joseph all the grain they could possibly buy. And they're out of money. So they're out of food. They're out of money. And so he asks them for their livestock. I'll take all of your animals. I'll take your herds. I'll take your flock. All of it. Uh, That gets them through one more year, it tells us in Genesis 47. One more year, they survive without their livestock. Now, Joseph has all the food. He has all the money. He has all the livestock. And so the next year, the people come and say, you already have everything. So you can have us. And you can have our land. And so Joseph agrees to give them food in exchange for their land. And he takes them as slaves. Let's read about that. So Genesis 47, verse 20. Check this out. So Joseph bought all the land in Egypt for Pharaoh. The Egyptians, one and all, sold their fields because the famine was too severe for them. The land became Pharaoh's, and Joseph reduced the people to servitude from one end of Egypt to the other. You can't imagine more widespread success than what Joseph did. But to add a cherry on top, the people were thrilled. They were happy. They loved Joseph. They thanked him. They, they gushed over him. Joseph, you've saved us. You've helped us. We're, we're going to be able to live. We're going to be able to work. We're going to be able to have families. We're going to be able to feed those families. They call Joseph a hero. Joseph lives now in fame and in wealth. And Pharaoh and his kingdom were the richest on earth. Meanwhile, Joseph has found a wife, and he has started a family, two sons. Life is good. Like, he made it. He's got everything you could ever possibly want. The Egyptians revere him. They love him. They bow down to him and and show deference. But what about that dream he had? It wasn't the Egyptians that were bowing down to him, now was it? But his own brothers, his own family. Hmm. That family, those brothers, the ones who mocked him, the ones who betrayed him, the ones who shoved him into a cistern as he begged for his life. He was the little brother. The ones who watched as he was dragged away ruthlessly by slave traders, shackled in irons, going off to a foreign country. 
Yeah, many others have bowed down to him, but those ones, they have not. Not yet. Until one day. (laughs) Two years into the famine, Joseph's father, Jacob, says, that's it, we're out of food. But we've heard there's food in Egypt, and so I'm going to send you boys there to get food for us, because otherwise we are done for. Like, this is their only hope of survival, is getting food from Egypt. Now, Benjamin didn't go along, because Benjamin is Jacob's new favorite son. Remember, Joseph was the favorite, but now Joseph is presumed dead, so Benjamin is the new favorite. He's the, he's the other child born to him by his beloved Rachel. And so, no, 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 Benjamin's not going to go, but the rest of you boys go, and maybe you can get grain and food for us and save us. So this family, Jacob's family, is in dire straits. Unless they get food, they are going to die. But they're going to unwittingly go to see Joseph, that brother that they had mistreated 20 years ago. He is their only chance to be saved. Now, Joseph was only a teenager when his brothers betrayed him. Now he's a grown man. He's 37 years of age. And he wears Egyptian clothes and he speaks their language. He is the ruler of Egypt. And like he is the one whose mercy his brothers need. Little did they know when they arrive in Egypt, they are going to be standing before, bowing before that very same brother that they had abandoned, that they had mistreated. So this is in chapter 42. So so turn back a few pages in Genesis chapter 42. Verse 6. It says, Now Joseph was the governor of the land. That's the NIV. Other translations will say ruler. We don't know exactly what his title was, but again, the most powerful person. He was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces on the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger. He spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. And although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. And then he remembered his dreams about them. And he said to them, you're spies. You've come here to see where our land is unprotected. Here they are in Egypt, bowing down before him. And he immediately thinks of his dreams, their lives now in his hands. But in his dreams, he remembers there were 11. There were 11 that bowed down. Benjamin's back home. I don't see him here. These are just the 10 brothers. And so he doesn't reveal his identity to them just yet. He wants to test them. <laughs> so he accuses them of being spies. He, he actually puts them in custody. It's not the same word for like the prison cell. Like I don't think he threw them in the dungeon, but he put them under kind of house arrest. Like these guys can't go anywhere. He puts them in custody. And after three days, he tells them he's going to keep one of them captive and the rest are to go back and get Benjamin and return. So I'm going to hold one of you and the rest, you've got to go back and get Benjamin. This one, and he chooses Simeon, he's not going to be set free until Benjamin comes back. And so the brothers are totally distressed. They're frightened. Then they say to one another in Hebrew, which is the language they're speaking, they say, surely we're being punished because of our brother. And they're meaning Joseph. Like this is the punishment that God has for us because of our heinous sin against our brother. They say, we saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we wouldn't listen. And that's why this distress has come on us. 
In other words, the way we treated him is now the way we are being treated. Reuben says they're being held accountable for what they did to Joseph, that his blood is on them. Like they truly think that Joseph is dead. They know they sold him as a slave, but it's like, how did that kid make it? I mean, this is a harsh land, and he's a slave. He probably, they, he's presumed dead, even by his brothers. They don't know that Joseph can understand them, of course. Uh, they ha- he had an interpreter that was there. That was how he was communicating with them. Uh, some of you have had that experience, where people are speaking their language, and they don't know you know their language. <laughs> That's what Joseph got here. That's what Joseph got. He, got the, he knows every single word they're saying, but they have no idea. Because he looks like an Egyptian. And he's overcome with emotion. At seeing them. And they're talking about him. And they're saying, why did we do that to Joseph? And now all this is on us. And so he flees. He goes out of the room because he needs to have a good cry. And he weeps and he cries. And, and you just wonder, are those tears of pain? As he relives the, the trauma of being sold and betrayed by... Are those tears of joy? As he sees... Things are happening in the lives and hearts of his brothers. Like, are my brothers really changed? Or are they still these unreliable, selfish, cruel, mean-spirited people? And so Simeon is thrown back into captivity and the others leave. And they return back to their father. And when they get back home, they explain all of what has happened. Okay, so dad, we got to get Benjamin and we got to go back and then Simeon will be set free. And Jacob says, no way, ain't happening. I'm not sending Benjamin. Just forget about it. <laughs> Which I read that and go, so what about Simeon? <laughs> like, like, Jacob just had a way of choosing favor, and we, and we know that. But basically, he's just choosing the safety and protection of Benjamin over the known captivity that Simeon is facing. Like, like sorry, Simeon, we're just leaving you there. And that's what they do. We're just going to leave you there. Dad said no. There's no way. He's, he says if, if he loses Benjamin, he's going to die. Like, he's been through so much grief. He's already lost Joseph. He's still troubled about losing Joseph. And he says, I can't handle it because Benjamin's my new favorite and I can't lose him. So they say no. They leave Simeon there. Uh, But he couldn't really stick to that because then they ran out of food. (laughs) Again. So, like, the boys had got food the first trip to Egypt and brought it back. But they ate that food. And this, this drought just kept going and going and going. And so... They say, all right, we need to make a second trip. And this time they convince dad, we can't go without Benjamin. Like, we're not going to go back to Egypt without him. And so it's like life or death. Okay, you can take Benjamin. Uh, And Judah, that's one of the brothers, he promises that he personally is going to ensure little bro's safe return. Like, dad, on my life, I will make sure that Benjamin is safe. And off they go. So a second time they go to Egypt and what do they do when they get there? They bow down before Joseph. And this time it's not 10, but it's 11. It is just what he dreamed. And Joseph invites them for a meal, for a feast. And so they stay. They're really confused because they look around and they, like, like Joseph and his team had seated them at this table. And they're like, hey, do you guys notice we're in perfect birth order? <laughs> they're like, how did they know what our birth order was? Like, we, they show up, 11, 11 dusty dudes, bearded, you know, like. So they're confused jo- because Joseph obviously knew their birth order and he had had them placed that way. So they're confused. How did we get placed in our birth order? How did he figure that out? And by the way, 
Hey, look at Benjamin. He's got a quintuple portion on his plate. <laughs> so Benjamin would have been the only true brother, like mother, father, that Joseph shared. So he gets five times the amount that the others do. And so Joseph has one more test that he wants to do before he reveals himself to his brothers. Um, he sends them on their way. So he, he releases Simeon. He has seen Benjamin. And the 11 brothers, they're loaded up with grain. This is the second trip to Egypt. Go home, back to your father. But he names Benjamin. Joseph takes his silver cup, and he puts it in Benjamin's sack. And then off they go. And then he sends his men after them to say, wait a minute, you guys stole from us. And they're like, we didn't steal from you. We wouldn't have done that. And so, of course, it's found that it's in Benjamin's sack. And so they say to the brothers, it's no problem. You guys are all free to go. Like, no, no harm, no foul. Go home to your father. Take the grain with you. But this guy, Benjamin... He's now our slave because he stole from us. And you just wonder, like, like Joseph, I think Joseph wanted to know how they would react in this situation. Because it's not altogether unlike the situation from 20 years earlier. It's just that Benjamin is now the favorite son, not Joseph. And dad likes him best, and dad makes that pretty obvious that he likes him best. And like these brothers, they could just make up another story about some tragedy had befallen young Benjamin, you know, like it was a, it was about a three week journey from Canaan where they lived to Egypt. Ah, got attacked by a lion, dad. Poor Benji just got torn up. Oh, we were walking along a steep, steep cliff and whoop, off he went. He got attacked. Bandits came, and they, they, were, they were violent, and he just didn't make it. I mean, they could have made up some story. They could have just returned. Benjamin goes as a slave to Egypt, and they go back home to dad. And I wonder if Joseph didn't want to see, how are they going to respond when put in this position again? And the brothers show they've changed. They're no longer those cruel and heartless men that sold Joseph into slavery, that ignored his pleas and cries for help as they shoved him into the cistern. Judah especially shines. Judah. He says he'll take Benjamin's place. He says, okay, we hear you. You want to have a slave that goes with you and the rest of us are free to go. That's fine, but I'm going to be that slave. Let Benjamin go. He, He gives this really long speech. This impassioned plea to Joseph to say, we can't take this boy away from his father. Take me instead, Judah says. He's not going to bring that sort of grief on his father again. And it's then that Joseph decides it's time for a family reunion. (laughs) It's time to reveal myself. It's time to reunite with my brothers. And so this is the passage that Alicia read for us. So this is in chapter 45, verse 3. Joseph drops the bomb. He says to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is father still living? It says his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified. Like, these guys are petrified. They're just standing there like... They can't speak. They can't breathe. They can't do anything. Like, this is one of those undercover boss moments. Don't you wish you could have seen their faces? I do. I, I wish that I could see how these guys looked when Joseph says, I am Joseph. They're like, they can't speak, but they're thinking, jo- this guy? 
The one we've been bowing down to? The guy who's the ruler of Egypt? He's Joseph. Joseph is alive? <laughs> we just bowed down to him. Like, like, they are completely shocked. And Joseph gives them hugs. And he says, don't be worried. He says, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed. And do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. And then he shows that he's a man who trusts God. He says, because it was to save lives. It was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. <laughs> They're thinking, God sent you? Guys, hey, powwow, uh, wasn't it us who got the 20 pieces of silver? <laughs> like, weren't we the ones who betrayed him and like pocketed the money and sent him off and made up the story that we told dad? But he doesn't think it was our fault. He says God is the one who sent him. But here's the thing. Joseph knew that God was in control and he lived like it. It's one thing for you to say, yeah, God's in control. It's another for you to live like it. He had faith that God was with him. All throughout. He had faith that God was with him when he was living safely at home in, in childhood and, and young adulthood. He had faith in God when he was down in the pit, in the cistern. When he was sold into slavery. When he was on his way to Egypt in shackles. He trusted the Lord when he was in Potiphar's house. He trusted the Lord when he was falsely accused and thrown into prison. When the fellow prisoner forgot all about him, he had a chance to be rescued, but nope, he forgot about him. He trusted in God when he was elevated to this position of governor or ruler. He trusted in God during this stressful time of leading a nation through a global crisis. He trusted in God when his brothers appeared 20 years later asking him for help. His story is amazing. You see, he, he believed that God is in control in the good times and in the bad times. And sometimes we struggle with that. He says then to his brothers, verse 8, we're still in Genesis 45. He makes this really clear. He says, so then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord over his entire household, and ruler of Egypt. So just as he doesn't blame them for their mistreatment of him and chooses to, to walk in forgiveness, he doesn't attribute his success to himself either. Like, and I've been so resilient and great that I got this position. He says, no, this was all the Lord's doing. So he hugs his brothers. He weeps with his brothers. He even laughs with them. Relationship restored. And the next order of business is his father. You see, because there are still many more years of famine, and he says, it's time to bring dad here. And so he makes arrangements for his whole family to move to Egypt with him. They settle in the land of Goshen. They're going to have the choicest land for their herds and their flocks. They're going to have plenty of grain to withstand the next five years of famine. It is beautiful. And really what it is is a story of a man who trusted the Lord. And in so doing, he overcame huge obstacles. And so I want to encourage you this morning that so far we've just been telling the story of Joseph, which is a powerful one. And that's enough. But I, I do have a few encouragements for us as we consider this story. Things that just jump out at me from this passage, this, this family reunion with Joseph. The first is that we serve a big God. <laughs> like only God could write this story. Only God could do these things. You're going to find yourself in circumstances way bigger than you. But like Joseph, you can keep trusting the Lord. You can say, it was God who sent me here. 
It was God who put me in this job. It was God who put me in this school. It was God who put me in this marriage. It was God who allowed me to suffer through this season that was really difficult and challenging. Because I trust him that he's in control in the good times. But I also trust him and know that he's in control in the bad times. And so when you take that position and recognize that we serve a big God and you trust him every step of the way, you realize God is going to see you through it. From the pit to the palace, he is going to see you through it because he's in control. So keep trusting him. We serve a big God. Secondly, we serve a forgiving God. I just love the approach that Joseph takes when his brothers show up. I mean, guys, this could be totally different. When the brothers show up, uh, I mean... Well, 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 look who it is. Bowing down before me, my brothers. Remember the dream I had when I was a boy where you were bowing down to me? And what was it you did? Oh, that's right, you laughed. And you made fun of me, and you picked on me. And then remember, remember that one day that you were out in the fields and I came for you? What was it that you did that day? Did we play games? Did we have a picnic? Oh, no, you threw me into a cistern, and then you shackled me in irons, and you sold me to slave traders. Food you want? I'm sorry, I don't have any food for you today, but we do have some very lovely cisterns here in Egypt. I think I'll select one for each of you and put you in it and see how you like it. I think that's probably how I would have responded. <laughs> I don't know how you would have responded, but I just, this could have gone so differently. When his brothers show up bowing down before him and he does not seek vengeance. In fact, when you read through the story, you see that he gives each of his brothers a new set of clothes to wear. <laughs> a new set of clothes. He gave more to Benjamin, but they at least got, each got one, <laughs> one new outfit of clothes. Like, they stripped him of his robe, and what does he do? He doesn't respond in kind. He says, I am bestowing upon you the finest of robes. In the Bible, a new set of clothes, it's often a way of showing a fresh start. A new season. It's off, it often is accompanied with a new set of clothing. Like, he is making this choice to forgive them. For the pain, for the wrongdoing. Like, it's time for something new. And it's a picture of Christ. The one who is stripped of his dignity. And mistreated and betrayed for pieces of silver. Who doesn't seek vengeance on us. But who just lovingly forgives us. Joseph embraces his brothers. He hugs them. He weeps with them. He, he rejoices with them. And, and friends, we're called to forgive others just as Christ has forgiven us. This is what Paul teaches us in Ephesians 4.32. He says, forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. We do serve a forgiving God. And I'm so thankful for that. Finally, third lesson that jumps out from the story of Joseph is we serve a God who saves so God saved Joseph time and time and time and time again. But in this story, particularly the, the passage that we're studying today, we see God saving Egypt. They would have died. This, this nation would have been wiped out based on this enormous famine that struck the land. So God, through Joseph, saved Egypt. He saved Canaan and surrounding lands. And you know what God is about to do? Well, it's 430 years later, but he's about to save his people once again from the hand of Pharaoh. Now, it was a Pharaoh who, you know, he, did, he didn't know Joseph. That guy died. A new one arose. And the people of, of uh, the, the Israelites, the Hebrews, were enslaved in Egypt. 
And so if you're wondering, like, why did God want to make Pharaoh so wealthy? Again, we talked about it through Joseph. It was like, we got the food. We got the money. We got the livestock. We now own the people. We now own the land. Like, he's, he owns it all. Well, look no further than the details of the Exodus. Exodus chapter 12 details when God's people left. After the ten plagues and Pharaoh finally relents and says, get out of here. When they left, they left with all of Egypt's valuables. It specifically says they took their gold, their silver, and their fine clothing. It says when God saved them from the hand of Pharaoh, they plundered the Egyptians. When God sent Joseph to Egypt, he did so for the saving of many lives, as Joseph says. But he also enriches Pharaoh so that 430 years later, when he brings his people out, they are going to plunder all of it. It's like, that's just God. Through the pain, through the hardship, through their 430 years of slavery, he was faithful. He was with them. He was carrying out his plan. We serve a God who saves. And God is still in the business of saving people. He has saved me. For all who put their trust in him, he has saved you from the flames of hell. In fact, the name Jesus means the Lord saves. Through Christ, we have the hope of eternal life, salvation. And it's available to all who call on him. And maybe you're feeling burdened this morning and you feel like you need to be saved. Whether putting your trust in the Lord Jesus or saved from those things that are plaguing you. And I would just be honored to pray with you today. Come and, come and meet with me after the service. Or our prayer team is going to gather right here in the front. When we dismiss this morning, come and share your burden. Seek the Lord. We'd be honored to go with you before God's throne of grace. We serve a God who saves. He is mighty to save, the scriptures say. So bottom line is this. Joseph trusted in the Lord, and you can too. <laughs> Joseph trusted in the Lord, and you can too. His story is about a big God who can do big things. And yet, our part is he calls us to simply walk in humility with him. To simply walk in faith with him. To have faith the size of a mustard seed. And we can move mountains. Now, these brothers of Joseph, oh yeah, they had evil intent, didn't they? <laughs> but God had good intent. And like always, God prevails. Those dreams that God puts on your heart, that purpose that his, he has uniquely created you for, he wants you to trust him, that he's carrying it out. He wants you to be faithful in whatever season he has you in right now. It's not an accident. It's not by mistake. He is working out his plan. So trust him. He is a God who is a forgiving God, a loving God. In, in, in the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, a present, ever-present God. He's a God who saves and who redeems. He is a God who sees you. He knows. He is a God who cares for you, and he is preparing you. I want you to hear me, and I want you to trust the Lord this morning that he's preparing you, and he's teaching you to trust him every step of the way. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, thank you for this powerful story in the life of Joseph, and thank you for your faithfulness to him. 
And thank you for the example that he is to us. And Lord, we know we fall short. And we know there are times where we complain. We know there are times where we fail to trust you because we can't see. And yet, Lord, we know that you call us to walk by faith and not by sight. And so, Lord, we choose today to trust you. Thankful that you forgive our sins. Thankful that you save us from what we truly deserve. Thankful that you are with us through it all. Lord, we bless you this morning. Praying it in Jesus' powerful name.